Amos 9, 11 through 15. In that day I will restore the fallen tent of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, the sower of seed. The mountains will, will drip with sweet wine, with which all the hills will flow. I will restore my people, I will restore my people Israel from captivity. They will rebuild and inhabit the ruined cities. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will firmly plant them in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land that I have given them. This is God's word. The woes and the judgments that we've had for, it's been, it's a pretty bleak book, frankly. The, the Bible is, uh, is nothing if not realistic. And, uh, we've had chapter after chapter of judgment. And what's, it's given way now in the last two chapters, Amos has some visions. And these visions are visions of locusts, of fire, and then a vision of, of summer fruit. And the summer fruit is basically maybe overripe fruit. The word for fruit, kis, and the word for the end is also kis, and it's kind of a play on words where he says, I see the summer fruit, I see the end. And so it's it's sort of the finale is coming. What I'd like you to look at, if you've got your Bible, I'd love for you to open to Amos 8. We're going to get to what Ryan read in just a minute in Amos 9, but I'd like you to read the fruit of the judgment of God, because it may not be exactly what you think. Before what's going to be physical, uh, the, the crumbling of the temple, the false temple, I want you to read with me and look at Amos chapter 11, uh, Amos chapter 8, verse 11. This is kind of the final judgment and the consequence of these visions. Behold, the days are cl- coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Well, that sounds pretty bad, not to have stuff to eat, right? But it's not a famine of food. It's not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They, that is Israel, the people, the northern kingdom, shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they won't find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. So the judgment is there's a famine, but it's not for food. It's not for economics. It's that they no longer hear God's voice. That's kind of the finale before it all comes crumbling down when God's word is no longer heard in the land. And you may think, well, gosh, that, I mean, I'd, I'd rather eat, be able to eat physical food, but the scripture's really clear. Jesus says, remember, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What's going on here? Why can't people hear God's word? Well, you see, God has been sending to this nation over and over again truth in the form of prophets, in the form of his word, and they've simply rejected that. They've simply said, we don't want to hear it. And at some point, the heart becomes so hard and the ears become so closed that if you reject the message and the messenger God sends, there is no longer another way to hear 
and the famine that comes on the land and the, the ultimate fruit of that. And, you know, you think, well, that will never happen to us. We have so many Bibles and we have so many churches. Well, can I tell you that it can happen in churches? Maybe some of you all have been a part of churches where God's word did not become the centerpiece, but human reasoning and understanding and what we think is right, what we think is good. And we saw from the plumb line vision last week that when we measure truth, we end up getting off the rails. And that God's word can seem incredibly foolish to people who are looking for simply rational human understanding. But it is the very life when you come to understand the narrative that God sent his one and only son and made him like a human. The God who created all this, everything, became human lived like one of us, died to pay the price for the sin, the, the the horror that we do to one another that Amos so aptly describes, and that Jesus came. When we take that and when that becomes our centerpiece, that knowing not just morality, but knowing Jesus changes everything. When we know that, then the Word of God, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness and we're filled. That's what God says. Blessed are those who actually search for God and see God. And if you don't know God, if that's something that's very foreign to you, it is as easy as simply asking God to show Himself to you. He's not wanting to be hidden. He wants to be found. He wants His Word to be to be imbibed, to be eaten like food. The psalmist says, more to be desired are God's word than gold. If I offered you an ounce of gold or a, a piece of the word of God, I know the human part of us would say, well, ounce of gold, I mean, that's whatever the price is, it bounces around. But, you know, a couple thousand bucks, a bar of gold. The psalmist says, more to be desired is one true living word from God Almighty than gold. It's sweeter than even honey. And honey's pretty sweet. So that it's the saddest thing in the world when there's a famine for truth. Guys, I don't know what our future holds in our nation, but please, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't give up on God's word. The older I get, the truer it gets. And I hope you're finding the same thing. God's word is truth. It will last. Ultimately, nothing else will. We're going to see that in Amos. Everything else will fall apart. Things fall apart. Entropy is real. I see it every morning when I look at myself in the mirror. <laughs> Things fall apart, but God's word is true. It's foundational. It will be there for you. And I know, you know, when as I was younger and it seemed uh, just ethereal, I tell you, I won't want a bar of gold when I'm drawing my last breath. I'll want Jesus. As Amos closes in chapter 9, and all these woes, including this sad woe of the famine for God's word comes on, we see now the destruction of the temple. Last week we looked at... In 1 Kings 12, 
back right after the kingdom had been split, David's uh, grandson, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, established a southern kingdom in Judah called Judah with the capital of Jerusalem. A servant of David's, not a son, Rehoboam the first, I'm sorry, Jeroboam the first, established the northern kingdom of Israel with the capital of Samaria. In order to keep people from making a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, he builds a temple in another town, Bethel, the place where God had revealed himself to Jacob, the God where God had made himself known. And so instead of a place where knowing God, he sets idols. And now Jeroboam sets a place in Bethel. This is several hundred years before Amos now, but he sets a place in Bethel where he could allow the people to worship any way they wanted to. Not the true God, but God of their choice. Okay, so that's the setup. If you've got your Bible, I want you to see something very interesting. First Kings, I believe it's First Kings chapter 12. First Kings chapter 12, after he'd made this temple, Jeroboam the first, this is a different Jeroboam than we're dealing with now, and we'll get to him in just a second, but I want you to see what had happened here a couple hundred years earlier. Verse 31 of First Kings 12, the historian records, he also made temples on high places, appointed priests from among the people who were not of the Levites, violation of God's word, but it sounded good to them. That's what religion does. We do what's good to us, but not look at God's word. And verse 32, Jeroboam appointed a feast. He just appointed his own feast. God appoints feasts in in, uh, the Torah. He appointed feasts, but Jeroboam decided, I'll just appoint my own. Because, you know, why not? He felt like God. He appointed a feast on the 15th day of the 8th month, like the feast That was in Judah. On the 15th day of the seventh month, there's a feast called Sukkot. It's a feast of tents or tabernacles. It's a place to remember how God preserved his people in the wilderness where they had to live in tents. And so a month later, it says that Jeroboam decided, well, they've got their feast, but we don't want them going to do that. Let's just make our own. Doesn't say exactly what it was celebrating, but it says it was like the feast that was celebrated in Judah. And Jeroboam, he offered sacrifices on the altar. That's not the way God set it up. So he did this in Bethel, and he sacrificed to the golden calves that he'd made. All right, so we can see bad news a-coming. This temple was still standing in Bethel. It's no reason to think that maybe those feasts that he'd set up weren't still going on. Now we have Jeroboam II. He took the same name, and he is now reigning during the time of Amos. And God finally says, enough. If you look at uh, Amos 9.1, it says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. The vision is the Lord at this temple now. And it says, strike the capitals until the threshold shake. This is architectural language. He's talking about the pieces of architecture. These words in Hebrew would have been the words looking at like doorposts and lintels and things. And they were beginning to crumble because God comes in and he will not stand for another God in his place. 
And so the vision is of the shattering of these things, of this physical temple is shattering underneath and that the people who worshipped other gods come now under God's judgment. And so this sort of finality and it's, it's just, it's, it's very devastating to read and just makes you go, wow. At this point, what we've learned is that Israel's forgotten who they are. We have to remember, God didn't create a people merely to bless them and say, oh, well, Jews, you're my people. Those people, they're not my people, non-Jews. That was not the initial, not the purpose. The purpose was for God to say, I choose a very insignificant people. It says in in, in Deuteronomy 7, they were the least of all the people, not the greatest. And he chooses them and he says, through you, I'm going to demonstrate what I can do with a people who's not very great on their own. And I'm going to bless you as you follow me. And other people are going to look at that and say, who are they? God, there must be a real God. If he could take this Semitic tribe in the middle of nowhere and begin to bless them because they're worshiping this one God, we better sit up and take notice. And we see throughout much of the Old Testament, that's exactly what happens. But not now. They've said, hey, we're God's people. We can do what we want. Little, you know, little temple in Bethel. No big deal. You know, I'll, you know, hey, I'm sure there was some Yahweh stuff in the temple too, but I mean, everybody, who doesn't love a golden calf? It's great at a party. Come on, guys, get with it. This is, you know, this is 850. This is, we're not back in the old days. We're not back in like a thousand. Come on, we're moderns. You know, they said this. We're modern people. You know, let's grab a Kushite with us, a little, you know, we gotta, we gotta make do with the culture around us, right? We can't, we can't let them look at us and think we're weirdos. Are we Yahweh freaks, guys? Come on! God says, enough. You do not know why you were created. Your identity is gone. Because you're only a people because I created you and made you my people. I chose you. And you've now abandoned me. And so the ten tribes of the northern kingdom, having decided that they knew best, now their hope was gone, their future was gone, and there was a, that kingdom was gone, and it would never return. Because you have God choosing one people, and now they've decided two people, we can't even live together. We created our own new new set of Israel and Judah. And he says, no, no. But he hadn't rejected his people. Because now, yes, they were no longer, they were no longer going to be the northern kingdom. The vision is Assyria is going to overrun you and take you over and you will no longer be. But God finds faithful hearts. He is nothing if not faithful to those who call on his name. And so now they were an aggregate of individuals. And the final chapter that Ryan read this morning is a beautiful reminder of the God that we serve. Look with me, please, at verse 11 of Amos 9, these last 
six verses, it says, In that day, this last vision, in that day, I will raise up, what? A booth. He doesn't, he's not going to raise up a building, it says. The vision was not of God raising up another temple. I'm going to build a new building. He says, I'm going to raise, the word there is tabernacle. Just like Sukkot is the word in Hebrew. It's just like the feast. I'm not sure that's an accident, guys. He says, out of the rubble, I have stood on the altar steps and I've destroyed what you decided was best. But out of that rubble, you know, it's like the, the, the ground shakes a little bit and coming out builds a tent. A Sukkot of David. See, the line of David was in the south, was in Judah. They had their own issues. But he says, I remember the covenant I made with David, that man, while not perfect, whose heart was after me. And I'm going to repair it. The breaches, I'm going to raise up out of the ruins. I'm going to rebuild. And interesting, he says that they may possess the remnant of Eden, Edom. Edom is uh, not God's chosen people. Edom is synonymous with, with those who hate God and run away from God. And yet we've seen that God was faithful even to those who hated him. And that when David was able to actually get Edom in line, and when it says there's sort of a metaphor here that when Edom actually comes in, we know all is well. We know that something has happened when even Edom, it, you can look at 2 Samuel 8, 14, about how David dealt with Edom. When Edom actually falls so that those who hated God, some of them even are embraced into his family, we know the greater David has arrived. And then what happens? This vision is just beautiful in verse, in chapter, verse 13. Uh, I'll let you read through it, but it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. What does that mean? The plowman shall overtake the reaper. It means the crop is so good that as you're trying to pick and reap and gather, the, the guy who's seeding that for the next season comes up right on your tail. It's, you can't pick the fruit fast enough. When Jesus reigns, when Jesus sets his feet, even in ruined lives, the fruit begins to come up such that you can't even pick it fast enough. If your life is in a place where you're just, you're filled with anxiety and fear and you don't know which end is up and sin is overwhelming you, let Jesus stand in your life. Would you invite him to come in? What have you got to lose to let Jesus come in and begin to let the plowman overtake the reaper so that your life would begin to become everything God promised it would be? Your identity, just like Israel, can be rooted in what God says about you, not what the world says about you. And what God says about you is you are loved beyond any reason and comprehension that makes any sense. And that you are created in the image of Almighty God so you have worth and dignity when other people have told you you don't. Or maybe you feel you don't. 
this is who you are. But if you lose your identity and want to plant it in the world, the fruit of that is destruction because there is no foundation. At the very end, the promise of God continuing, he says, I'll plant them on their land and they'll never again be uprooted out of the land I've given them. And we could talk about the physical land of Israel, but it's way beyond that. Because the the land of the kingdom of God where you will never be taken away, no one will snatch you out of God's hand, even your own fainting heart, if you trust the Lord. Interestingly enough, as the church is born, this is Pentecost, this Sunday is celebrated the world over as Pentecost, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit coming and creating his church. And one of the very early crises of the, of the church in the first century was who was in and who was out. Are the Edoms of this world, are Gentiles and others able to come in? If you've got your Bible, flip ahead to Acts chapter 15. And in this council, Paul and Barnabas come and they make a case before the Jews who were leaders of the early church in Jerusalem. And they're saying, look, God is moving among these people. The plowman is being overtaken by the reaper. We say a word and 5,000 people on this Pentecost come and are saved. And many of them are from all over the world. We're seeing God pouring himself out and changing the world. And then the Jews are sitting there going, well, maybe they need to be circumcised. I mean, they didn't know how to handle this. They were trying to figure it out. And Peter makes the case, and Paul and Barnabas make the case, no, Jesus is for everyone, just like the kids sang this morning. He came for you, and he's for everyone. And so they're praying about, how do we do this? Because we are Jews, and they're trying to figure it out. And they go to God's word. And in verse 15, James, who's the pastor, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, saying, brothers, listen to me. God seems to be moving in this way. And here's what the word says in the book of Amos. Probably the most depressing book in the Bible. This early church council looks and says, look at what was written in Amos. I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I'm going to rebuild its ruins. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. All the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. He finds, they find in Amos the idea that God makes all things new, including the broken things. He is bringing together everyone. Everyone and anyone who would call on the name of the Lord from any background, no matter what your sin, where you've come from, what you've done, everyone is welcome if you come through Jesus. What a glorious thing. Our gospel call is for all who will respond. I hope as we've gone through Amos, um, I hope we get a sense that God is both just and merciful. That is the Bible's balancing act throughout. If we make God 
only justice and no mercy, it's too heavy for us to bear. If we make God all mercy and no justice, then there's no sense of fairness. There's no sense. So God brings together that, yes, there's consequence, but there's never a time when there's no way out because Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the way. Come to me. Come through me. Even if the institutions and the circumstances, the Israel around you falls apart, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you pray with me, please? I want to give you just just a minute. We're going to take just a minute of silence before I close in prayer and we close in worship. And I just want you to think and I just want you to pray and get real with God for a minute. Talk to Him about where you all are in your life. Where are you with Jesus? If you're here and you know that you either have not believed or you certainly have not trusted in Him, maybe you believe in God, but that's not enough to just believe that He is. It says you've got to come to Him. You have to trust Him. You have to believe in the sense of depending on Him. And if you're ready to come into relationship with Him, it's as easy as confessing your sin and agreeing with Him that you need Him and confessing that He is who He says He is, that the unique Son of God, and believing that He died for you, Come talk to me. Let's pray about it. Let's see God work in your life. If you know Him, but you know there's things that you're drifting down, just like the nation of Israel, where you're beginning to think you know best and you can disregard His Word, and maybe you have in your own heart a famine for God's Word. You don't really sense a living Word of God. Then take the promise of Scripture and turn to Him and cry out for that living bread that, that He promises to those who will believe. Don't let your heart become callous and cold and just apathetic toward the things of God. Please, Let the Lord warm your heart. Let Him put His fire, the Pentecost fire, in your heart. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we don't want to have a famine. Lord, so we want to obey. We want to listen. We want to wrestle with the things we don't understand or we're troubled by. Lord, we want to be able to come to see Your your Word as a living, breathing entity of fire to change us. You've been faithful to us throughout all the ages, Lord. Help us to believe it won't stop in 2023. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we close in prayer.